This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 144, Flashback, Spider-Man Maximum Carnage. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 144. It's the flashback to Spider-Man Maximum Carnage episode with Adam Chapman, your host, which is me. Um, So yeah, let's just jump into it uh, today. Um, I was trying to think about something to do for Valentine's Day, etc. And then Valentine's Day was quickly gone. And I was like, well, instead of doing something that's about a day that's just gone past, um, let's do another flashback episode. It's been a little bit since I've done one. Um, So today I was going to look at Spider-Man Maximum Carnage. Uh, Maximum Carnage is always going to have a, a special place in my heart. Um, it's a ridiculous story. It's too long. It's too ridiculous. Two nineties. Uh, there's not a lot of substance to it, but I love it anyways. Uh, and um, it's it's for me. It's easy to to imagine why I love it, but at the same time, it's I almost have to cringe. Uh, originally, it came out, and I guess uh, 1993. Uh, originally, uh, I from what I remember, I remember it being kind of a summer book, but I don't think it actually came out. Nah, I think it did happen in the summer, actually. Um, now, this is a storyline that ran through all the Spider-Man titles at the time, um, not just including the regular four titles that were being published, but also it had the um, two chapters that were in Spider-Man Unlimited. Uh, so this was actually a 14-chapter 14, 14 massive undertaking in the Spider-Man books. Um, so let's kind of jump into where I come back on it. In terms of a flashback, I usually like to look at books that have some sort of resonance to me in terms of my comic collecting history or my past. Um, for me, my first issue I ever read of Maximum Carnage was, uh, in, I believe, part four of the storyline. Um, part four was Spider-Man 35, uh, cover dated June, so probably came out in what, uh, probably May or April, um, and it's 1993. Now, this was, so 1993, I would have been turning 10 that year, so I was about nine and a half when this issue would have come out. Now, uh, I did not buy this issue. I remember a classmate of mine at the time, his name was Josh, he had this issue, and I thought it was so cool. Um, I really liked the artwork. It was. I remember reading it and loving it, um, and I had an old issue of, I think of it, it was Adventures of Superman, and when I say old, not actually old. It was probably from like 91 or 92. Anyways, I remember I traded it. Um, and I think I've talked about this in the past on the show. Uh, but my dad, who's very not, not very big proponent of comic books, wishes I would... My parents probably wish I would give it up as a hobby and kind of uh, are, you know, a little bit sad that it's still something that's such a big part of my life. Um, my dad had actually given me two issues of Adventures of Superman and Stockings in different years for Christmas presents. It's always been funny to me that... The villain in this particular book well, it was actually the same in the two items. Um, what I mean by that is that the this villain only, I believe, showed up once ever was the villain in these two issues that were released, to, I think, a year or two apart and were never touched again. Yet those were happened to be the ones my dad gave me for Christmas. It's always been weird, a weird coincidence to me and it's always kind of made me laugh because it's just such a rare and random thing to have happen. Um, but yeah, so I traded that book to my uh, to my friend, and I remember my dad at the time worked for a printing company, and he actually took a photocopy of uh, of everything, and uh, and then I gave I still have that photocopy somewhere of that comic, um, not even a color photocopy, but a black and white photocopy, and uh, it's and I 
so I still am able to read that issue, and I was able to re- enjoy the issue of, uh, of Spider-Man, which was Spider-Man 35 from 1993, and uh, it continues to, it was, I believe, the first Spider-Man book I ever actually owned, and didn't even purchase it. However, it definitely uh, spurred me on into buying more books that summer. I remember I was visiting my, my grandmother, and I would go to the, uh, the convenience store, and that's actually where I ended up picking up my first real Spider-Man comics that I bought myself. Um, so what books were they? Well, uh, so I had part four of Maximum Carnage, uh, and then so when I was on the newsstand, I was able to buy, uh, and that's right, newsstand, not comic book store, I was at a newsstand, which you can't do as often as anymore. Uh, it was Amazing Spider-Man 379, uh, again, with cover date of July, this was part seven of Maximum Carnage. Um, I also picked up some Marvel Tales at the time, which, uh, two successive issues that, uh, fostered a love of the Sinister Syndicate without really realizing who they were or how long they'd been around, uh, because it was reprinting two issues of Amazing Spider-Man, um, where first, uh, Silver Sable was up against Jack and Lantern because Spider-Man was missing, and then the next, uh, month, uh, the next issue, uh, Spider-Man had returned and was teaming up with Silver Sable against the, the Sinister Syndicate, and it had a great last page, uh, which was Sinister Syndicate bearing down on Spider-Man just after he'd been basically, you know, uh, in, what was he, on top of a roller coaster? Or it was, they destroyed a roller coaster, basically, and he was, like, underneath the rubble, and he was protecting Silver Sable, and he was about to be killed by the Sinister Syndicate, which was still such an awesome ending. Um, so that, that I bought this summer alongside buying these issues of, um, of Amazing Spider-Man. And I remember just loving Part 7 of Maximum Carnage. And I... I as a kid, like, I never had Part 8 or Part 9. You kind of you pick up comics when you can in the newsstand, but that's not always very frequently. So I think I went right from Chapter 7 right to Chapter 11, which was the next issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, it's possible maybe they were both on sale. Maybe it was just the, the previous month was still there, and that was Issue 380 of Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, and then I was so happy that I was able to get uh, Parts 11 and 12 of the storyline. Oh, sorry, that was 11. Sorry, part 12, which was Spider-Man 37. Uh, more Tom Lyle artwork, who I've come to really appreciate and love as a Spider-Man artist of this era. And then uh, Spider-Man, sorry, Spectacular Spider-Man 202, sorry, 203, which was uh, chapter 13 of Maximum Carnage. And for years, that was kind of it. Um, that, would, uh, that was all I had a chance to read. It wouldn't be for many years later that I'd actually be able to read the storyline in its entirety. I remember finding a used bookstore uh, that had really cheap old issues. If you're from the Toronto area, you know BMV, and if you don't know them, you really should because they're fantastic. And I remember picking up a lot of the issues for about a dollar each, and finally being able to read the entirety of the storyline. Um, I think actually from the friend who uh, I got uh, Spider-Man 35 from, I actually also got Amazing Spider-Man 378, which is Chapter 3. So for a while, I just had you know Chapter 3, 4, 7, uh, 11, 12, 13, and then years later, I was able to fill it in. And then finally, when they came out with a nice wonderful trade paperback i made sure to pick that up as well um because it will always have such a special place for me because it was one of the first real spider-man stories i remember going to the newsstand and reading and trying to get more parts of the storyline and really loving it and not even having all the chapters but being okay about it i think i've mentioned this on a previous uh episode of the podcast before um is that it, that's kind of not surprising for my childhood that i would miss a chapter and just kind of go along maybe not noticing it maybe not really realizing what i missed uh, but being okay with it. Uh, my classic example is that as a kid, my parents had recorded Back to the Future 1 and Back to, Back to the Future 3. But they never recorded Back to the Future 2. Maybe it wasn't on TV or... Uh, back in the day, I mean, when a, when a TV show would go on TV, 
uh, sorry, a movie would be on TV, you would really take your opportunities and you would record them. Uh, and then you would save them for many, many years. Uh, and that's basically what happened with me for Back to the Future 1. So for years, I ended up actually not getting to watch Back to the Future 2, because I had Back to the Future 1 and 3. And as a kid, like I, 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 was, I guess I was a pretty dumb kid. I didn't, didn't realize I was missing something, or I just never had a chance to see it. And I assumed my parents would have shown it to me. And it was years later where I finally went to a local video store and got Back to the Future 2. And it was like, oh my god, this is the, the missing piece. And the same thing happened with me and um, Star Wars. I had watched episode one, uh, sorry, episode four and episode six, but missed out on Empire Strikes Back for years. And I just kind of, as a kid, I was just like, oh, well, I missed something. But I, it wasn't, as an adult, I think when you miss something, you're like, wait a minute, I'm missing something. Let me go find this. Let me go track down what I'm missing. As a kid, you're kind of like, yeah, well, I'm going to roll with it. And that's kind of the way I was with these comics for years, is that I just kind of rolled with it. Um, looking back, kind of stupid, kind of dumb. Um, very much... A weird thing that only a kid would do. Um, anyways, getting back to Maximum Carnage. Um, and then a few years later, obviously, there was the very famous, very uh, influential, and very difficult uh, Maximum Carnage video game for the Super Nintendo, which for years is... It was such a... I always loved this as a Spider-Man game. I thought it looked so crisp. It looked so awesome. Um, the It was just... That was how I actually got to know some of the events that happened in the first few issues that I didn't have in later chapters. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I, didn't, I didn't have the earlier issues, so I was able to w- kind of play this video game, which actually used shots from the original series, and you could kind of get a sense of what was going on in the storyline at that point. So I didn't feel like I was really missing anything at all. Um, and I was just actually talk about this storyline, because as I said, it's long, but at the same time, not a lot really happens. It's, it's such a weird story. So it all starts in Spider-Man Unlimited. So it was like, a, I believe it was a quarterly or semi, I think, yeah, it must have been a quarterly book that Spider-Man has, was going to have now. There was X-Men Unlimited, which came out, I believe, around the same time. So now Spider-Man gets to have another one. So he already has four solo books. Now he gets a quarterly fifth book. Um, Spider-Man Unlimited started the, you know, the big Maximum Carnage and on the first issue, it says Maximum Carnage begins here. Although it doesn't actually indicate that it's going to be a 14-issue-long, ridiculous epic. Um, the first uh, first issue, you actually see on it, it was also during celebrating the 30th anniversary of Iron Man at the time. So it has uh, Iron Man 1963 to 1993 in the bottom left-hand corner um, of this particular issue. Uh, the first issue is written by Tom DeFalco, artwork by Ron Lim, and... Um, Letters by Chris Eliopoulos and Jim Sanders III doing uh, the inks all over uh, Ron Lim's pencils. Um, now, the issue kind of starts off with Cletus Cassidy being uh, transported through Ravencroft. He's absolutely crazy. Uh, he gets pricked with a needle and then it lets the, uh, the carnage symbiote out because it was actually in his bloodstream. He wasn't actually defeated by Venom and, Car- uh, sorry, Venom and Spider-Man during his first appearance and he is back with a vengeance. Now, obviously, this is during the era where Venom was becoming an increasingly popular character, so then they decided, what's better than Venom? Another character very similar in design, so that's where Carnage came from. And then decided, the Carnage, you know, three-parter was such a big hit that they decided to now run with this big epic storyline devoted to this particular character. Uh, what's interesting about going back and reading uh, this first chapter is that it's very much of the time, I love going back and reading comics from different eras and kind of getting a sense of the continuity when books felt like they 
that the, the continuity was lived in. Uh, I was I was actually reading an interesting um, thing from Tom Brevoort the other day, and it was all about the idea of continuity and why are some people so hell bent on keeping this continuity going? Why do others? Other, some people want continuity almost to the detriment of a good story, which I don't think is really true, but they just want continuity to in some way be respected. And oftentimes they feel like continuity isn't respected. And he gave actually one of the smartest responses I've ever seen where he was like, you know what, this is kind of Marvel and other companies' fault, is that we kind of brought people up in the 80s and 90s to believe in the gospel of continuity. Uh, Mark Gruenwald and those like him really pushed the idea of continuity in a shared universe to being kind of a tight, cohesive thing as opposed to a loose assemblage of things that have happened in this universe that are, you know, all roughly correlate but not directly in certain cases. And so we've been kind of raised on this idea of a shared continuity that has a certain cohesion to it that now when that's not necessarily respected or followed, it feels uh, it feels uncomfortable. We don't like it. We like it to be you know things to kind of follow this this sense of continuity throughout all the issues that we read so when i go back and i read you know comics from the 70s 80s and 90s i like the feeling of reading a story that doesn't feel like it's so uh in its own bubble a lot uh, this happened a lot in the early 2000s at, at marvel is that joe quesada was very much let's tell great stories not worry about continuity strip things down and it worked they told a lot of really good solid stories but sometimes the stories just felt so isolated and in a bubble you had no real sense of what else was going on in the continuity at the time because it wasn't addressed it wasn't something that he was concerned with um, so going back to this Spider-Man Unlimited number one, that's how I kind of feel. You go through this, you have, you know, Cletus Cassidy breaking out of jail, uh, becoming Carnage again. You have uh, Harry Osborn's funeral because he had just died in Spectacular Spider-Man 200, which was obviously a huge deal. Um, when Carnage is escaping, he finds Shriek, who I believe was introduced in this issue. And to this day, I don't think is a character that makes a lot of sense to most people. Uh, you get the prerequisite flashbacks to Carnage's first appearance and how that storyline went. You have Shriek kind of being this weird, mess up version of a character who can kind of use emotions to create some sort of energy blast. She's creating sonic blasts. And it, it's, I feel at times that her powers are very nebulous in, in design and origin. Um, and that's throughout her appearances in the 90s. Uh, you have Carnage and Shriek coming across a feral version of uh, Doppelganger. He's a little bit more tamed in the issues to come. Basically, he's adopted by this weird family unit that's being created with Carnage and Shriek as the patriarch and matriarch, um, respectively. And then Doppelganger is the erstwhile son. Uh, you have Peter Parker finding out about Carnage escaping. He ends up going up against Doppelganger and uh, Shriek. Um, the art by Ron Lim really leaves a lot to be desired here, and obviously Doppelganger was a holdover from the, I believe, the Infinity War storyline, where there's all these doppelgangers uh, of all these heroes. And at the end of the issue, you have uh, Carnage confronting J. Jonah Jameson, um, which is actually one of the panels from the Maximum Carnage video game. Uh, it's, again, it's it, there's not a lot that really there's a considering this is a kind of a, a double-sized issue there's a lot of just talking between like the shriek uh, carnage banter really gets old um the, the you know the the doppelganger stuff is very kind of it feels really forced um not the falco's best work by any means uh then you you move on from there to uh, the first chapter that's in a regular series book, which is by Web of Spider-Man. Uh, it's written by Terry Cavanaugh. Where did Terry Cavanaugh run off to? 
Uh, you got Alex Saviuk, who's kind of the the unsung hero of the of the '90s Spider-Man books in the early '90s. Anyway, he did a lot of really solid stuff, but he's never really remembered that well. Um, partially because Web of Spider-Man was always kind of the runt book. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man obviously was the the main book. Spectacular Spider-Man struggled for a long time with its own sense of identity, but at least it had a bit more of a, uh, a sense of self. And then you had Web of Spider-Man, which was the third Spider-Man title, which really struggled to really have a, def- a defining identity as a Spider-Man book. And then when Spider-Man, the Ejectivalist one, came out, that was its identity was basically that it was the Todd McFarlane book until Todd McFarlane left. And then I believe Larson jumped on at some point. Uh, and even at this point, it's kind of, it's, you know, it's not that it's struggling, but it's not quite sure what it's going to be. But at least it has a good writer. Um, anyway, moving onwards. So we have Terry Cavanaugh writing this Web of Spider-Man issue. Alex Aviak doing, I really enjoy his pencils. Um, you have Cloak and Dagger show up to, to save Spider-Man, who's been thrashed by a uh, by, uh, doppelganger and Shriek in the previous installment. Uh, Carnage breaks away from the bugle. I don't know what the point of his big interaction with J. Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson really was. Um, doppelganger and Shriek confront or hunt Spider-Man down to the church where Cloak and Dagger brought him to. And then we got a really long series of fight sequences. Carnage breaks in as well, and they're having this big fight. Um, with Cloak and Dagger, if, which really doesn't go anywhere. Like it, It's a long fight sequence that it just feels very repetitive. And then uh, Sh- Shriek so, so, uh, sorry, appears to kill Dagger, which is kind of a big incident. Which So Cloak's freaking out that now the Dagger's di- uh, dead. Uh, and then in San Francisco, we got a, which is ridiculous. We see Venom in San Francisco being a hero. And he sees on TV that Carnage has escaped and decides he has to go back to New York. Um, the the art, I, I like Alex Saviak a lot. I do have to say that maybe this wasn't his best work in this issue, partially because I don't think he does the greatest version of Carnage. Um, his doppelganger also leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, chapter 3, I mean, I'm going to start going really quickly because there's 14 of these bloody chapters. Uh, chapter 3, it's written by David Michelini who is writing Amazing Spider-Man at the time, artwork by Mark Bagley. The absolutely spectacular, amazing, everything you want to say about Mark Bagley. Um, and he does this chapter three. Uh, again, some fantastic Venom work. Venom arrives back in New York. Uh, there's a lot of padding throughout these issues, though. Um, as I've already said, I mean, you have three pages of basically the first page. Eddie Brock comes back to New York looks at a newspaper saying that Carnage is out in New York. He gets so pissed off that then you have this big page of him turning into Venom and screaming out that, you know, this time Carnage is going to die. And then the next page is just him bouncing around the, the uh, this building and then heading towards, you know, the center of New York because he's hunting Carnage. Then you have, like, two pages of Cloak being so upset about uh, Dagger being gone and something's messed up with his powers now that Dagger's gone. Uh, Spider-Man's wondering what to do about it. Uh, like there's just a lot of padding throughout this. This is also the infamous era where um, Mary Jane, her proportions don't make any sense, but also she's wearing like you know these low-cut pants and this um, kind of like a cut-off uh, tank top, and she's smoking because it's the '90s and it's edgy and it's ridiculous. Um, she's really in kind of. This is not the greatest uh, time period in terms of the characterization of Mary Jane. 
Uh, I thought some of the clone saga stuff when Jim DeMatteis started writing her more was really interesting where she kind of had more of a perspective. She was dealing with her own demons and confronting her father and going back home and that kind of stuff. But this is before we get there. So instead we have a very angry MJ who keeps being mad at Peter for being Spider-Man. It, it just it felt, even at the time I remember thinking like, why does she got a harp on him so much? Like he, she's just always attacking him uh, for doing what, you know, she knew he was going to do when they got married. Um, going back to the you know, the weird threesome of Doppelganger, Carnage, and Shriek, I absolutely love the version of uh, Doppelganger that Bagley does because it's just it looks extremely formidable. I love the way that the extra appendages look. Uh, even though we got some weird talking moments here, they all look great. Um, we have Peter Parker and MJ kind of coming to a weird detente because they're really at each other's throats about him wanting to go back out there to capture carnage even though he's already got his ribs ribs cracked um in central park you have outright murder being happened like i i'm what what did i say i was nine almost 10 years old when i was first reading these issues carnage uh rips um you know this the top off a car and then murders two people that are in this car and you kind of see their bodies and then afterwards shriek then blows up the vehicle and destroying the evidence then they basically murder a cop who runs up and then they have doppelganger web up his neck and then crack his neck there's outright downright horrible murder happening here um then you have the demogoblin showing up who i loved when he was when i first started reading comics because i didn't know hobgoblin for the green goblin at first i mean i think this is sad but it's possible that my first real goblin exposure was actually to the demogoblin just because of when I started reading comics. And then I went back, obviously, and I loved the Green Goblin and the Hobgoblins. But it's very possible that my first Goblin I ever actually remember seeing was the Demogoblin, who is a cool visual and was a great hero click. Uh, he's riding like a, a flame bird glider. Uh, he, you know, throws, he has like actual fire blasts instead of just regular finger blasts. He throws these weird pumpkin bombs. It's just a very cool demonic version of a Goblin, which actually makes more sense in some ways. Um... I, looking back at it now, like the art at times it almost looks too too short. There's one panel with Demogoblin picking up Spider-Man by the neck. It's a cool panel, but he also looks like a really short goblin. Uh, but it's really strongly written stuff. Uh, and this, uh, and it's not surprising because David Michelini at this point, as much as some of it kind of goes back and forth and maybe doesn't have the best characterization of um, Mary Jane, it was just still a very strong, strong read at the time. Uh Looking back on it, there's a lot of problems, obviously. Um, chapter 4 is Spider-Man 35. So now you add a few characters. Even if you look at this cover, you got a lot of characters in there. you got Spider-Man on it. Uh, although, looking back on it now, I don't know if it's the greatest cover because you have a building uh, from a kind of a weird force perspective looking down on it. You have Spider-Man swinging in a direction that doesn't quite make sense. You have Venom swinging towards this building. You have Demogoblin on top. You've got Carnage, Shriek, a Doppelganger. You also have Black Cat entering the fray. Tom Lyle provides the artwork, and I just love Tom Lyle. Um, you have, the, again, more issues of kind of establishing that there's this family now, this family unit. David Michelini is also writing uh, Spider-Man at this point in time, at least for these issues. Um, a weird version of Venom that Tom Lyle illustrates, though, because he makes the Venom symbiote look a lot less like a living, breathing costume and there's no like tendrils really happening it almost looks more like just a battle damage costume that's kind of slinking off of him and ripped and doesn't really look like a real 
It's, it's just kind of an odd decision. And plus, if you look at the art, there's a spot where he's lying down and, and Peter Parker gives him a blanket. And then it looks like he's got clothes on, but I, maybe his it's his symbiote forming clothes. But he didn't put any clothes on. It's just the weird kind of art things that you don't notice at the time when you're a kid. Um, there is a great panel where Spider-Man puts on his mask and he's, he's gritting his face. And this is actually something that will become a cover later on during Pursuit when uh, Chameleon was uh, hunted by Spider-Man for what he did about with Spider-Man's parents. Um, you have Black Cat, who is very... My first kind of impression of the Black Cat is, is here. This is where I first got to know the Black Cat. Is She's an ally of Spider-Man. Uh, she's not in love with him anymore. She's not a bitch to him anymore. Uh, she's not. I don't even know if she's dating uh, Flash Thompson at this time, but she's back to being the Black Cat, and she's saying, you know, we have to help Venom stop Carnage. So he... Peter's really not liking the whole teaming up with Venom, especially, and now in, involving Black Hat as well. Uh, you go to Forest Hills, and you check in with Mary Jane showing up in a, a kind of a, a interesting outfit to just show up in, out of the blue. And this is obviously very much in the 90s because you still have Peter Parker's false parents around. Um, you have Demogobin, you know, kind of confronting and, and hunting a, d- a doppelganger. Then Carnage kind of says, join our crew instead. We're going to kill some people. You should join us. And it, it's kind of interesting that, like, Demogobin at this point is kind of supposed to be hunting sinners. And Carnage is kind of like, yeah, we're going to hunt down sinners, but we're just going to kill people. Just to pick on a few things, as much as I love Tom Lyle, um, he has this way of making Eddie Brock look like the biggest... Like loser reject with his ridiculous mullet, um, like some of the, the artistic choices, just in terms of what Eddie Brock's decided to wear. Uh, they have this nice interaction where um, it's the first time Black Hat and Venom actually have come face to face since Amazing Spider-Man three sixteen, which I like, and I only know that because there's a nice little editorial box telling me that. Which God, I miss editorial boxes. Uh, Spider-Man shows up and he's like, "No, you know, we're gonna we're gonna save lives. We're not gonna kill Carnage. There's no way we're doing that." And they team up. Um, Cloak is freaking out where he is, so he decides to take on uh, Carnage and his group all together. I do like this shot of Spider-Man and Venom kind of searching to find out if they can find uh, Carnage. And then they come across, um, you know, this this whole grouping fighting against Cloak. Cloak and Venom take on Carnage. Uh, Shriek on Black Cat, etc. They end up taking off. Uh, Spider-Man's trying to get out of out of Dodge as this warehouse they were fighting in is about to c- collapse. Um, Venom is, you know, weakened by the flames, so he can't really hold up the pursuit. Black Cap, uh, you know, is, wasn't able to make it out of this building. So I remember reading as a kid, being like, what's going to happen next? Because it was, you know, Spider-Man has to choose, does he hunt a Demogoblin, Doppelganger, Carnage, and Shriek? Which, realistically, he shouldn't, because he can't take them all out on his own. Or at least the way he's being written, he can't. Or should he go back for a weakened Venom who's fallen back towards the warehouse and go back for a black cat? So as you start Spectacular Spider-Man 21, that's where you are. And what's interesting to note is Spectacular Spider-Man 200 is a fantastic send-off to Harry Osborn. It's a, it's a melancholy, interesting, fascinating issue of, you know, kind of succumbing to the Osborn legacy. He takes on Peter and then ends up dying but not before he saves Peter's life, because they were best friends. At the end of the day, no matter what the Goblin and the Spider-Man would have, might have had between them, Peter and Harry were always best friends. Um, so the issue after that is Maximum Carnage Part 5. Can you think of a, of a weirder 
transition period to go from something so well done, so touching, to uh, a ridiculously overly over-the-top violent romp, which is part five of an overly long three-month storyline. Um, I really can't think of anything. Uh, so this is chapter five, and it's written by J.M. DeMatteis, and artwork by the immortal Sabusema. And I have to admit, as a kid, I wasn't a huge fan of Sabusema. Now I think I can look at his stuff and be really appreciative of the artistry. And also, he's such a good um, kind of working artist. Like, he's not the flashiest artist you're ever going to see, kind of like Saviak, but he's got some really solid stuff. He's a solid storyteller. Again, he's not all about, all about the flash, but he's about telling you what's happening in the story. Now, this is an era where that's kind of going going away it's falling by the wayside it's becoming a lot more about the the flash the style as opposed to the substance uh so we have venom i i kind of like the way that the the venom symbiote when it's in distress is being illustrated by busema just kind of like this weird mess around his body it still looks a little bit like it's got fluidity to it um we see something that we see over and over in this storyline where venom is so upset that peter decided to turn back from his uh you know, from searching for carnage and stuff and, and pursuit to save their lives, and he's kind of angry about that. And also, Black Cat's kind of pissed off as well about, you know, what what do you think you're doing, Spider-Man? Um, you should, you know, be pursuing. So you really have this alliance forming between Venom and Black Cat, and Spider-Man's kind of being left behind. Um, you have more infighting between this ridiculous carnage family. Peter's trying to deal with how he's supposed to, and what he should do, because he won't, he refuses to kill and cross that line, even though the others aren't afraid to do so. Uh, there's a lot of strong stuff that happens in this issue, because it's Demetrius. Now, we also have the weird kind of idea that, and I don't know if this was ever really addressed elsewhere, afterward, after the storyline, but Shriek can kind of makes people in the, in the vicinity overly full of rage, just kind of influencing their emotions. Um, you also have the, uh, the inclusion of Carrion, uh, Ma- uh, Malcolm McBride, who shows up as well. You have Spider-Man going up against this, uh, this random group of thugs who've been affected by Shriek, etc., and everyone's starting to freak out. And then you have this really excellent, overly dramatic panel where you have Spider-Man screaming, Okay, you want to act like devils? Then I treat you like devils. I'm tired of always holding back, being cautious, trying so hard to draw a moral line that no one even sees anymore. From here on in, I'll do whatever it takes to keep this city from going down in flames. Do you hear me? From this moment on, you'll get no mercy from Spider-Man. Very 90s comment. Very 90s situation. It's trying to be edgy. Trying to be pushing the you know the limits of, of what the standard comic book would allow you to do. And, and, and Peter being a certain type of character. Moving on as we get closer to the end of this episode. Um, Issue 6 is um, another Web of Spider-Man issue, issue 102. Uh, here you've got Saviak and uh, Kavanaugh returning. Um, you also have the inclusion of Morbius the Living Vampire. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I like Saviak as an artist, but this is really some of his weak, weakest work. This issue in particular, uh, it looks hastily drawn. Um, part of it's probably that he's just dealing with characters he has no real interest in. I mean, I, it's hard to not be a little bit biased as an artist. And I don't think these are the characters he's maybe best suited to towards uh, illustrating. Uh, you have The Deep, which is a, a club under siege. Uh, Mary Jane was there. Spider-Man protects her. Uh, he's teaming up with you know Cloak and Black Hat and Venom and uh, Morbius against this hodgepodge of characters, which now includes uh, Carrion, um, Doppelganger, 
Demo Goblin, Carnage, and Shriek, which is one hell of a, a weird mix. Uh, issue 7, you have uh, Bagley and uh, Michelini. And uh, as the cover says, Venom, Carnage, Doppelganger, Demogoblin, Deathlock. Things get even wilder. Yeah, you couldn't really throw more characters into this out of nowhere. Um, some of my favorite Bagley artwork here, though. You have the opening page where you have, uh, they're in this broken down building that Carnage used to live in. Uh, you have uh, Venom, Spider-Man, Black Hat, and Cloak. Um, trying to decide what to do and how they're going to confront and fight against uh, Venom. Sorry, not Venom. Against Carnage. Um, Cloak disappears to go get Firestar uh, because she, her powers may be of great assistance against uh, their foe, uh, who in this case obviously is Carnage. Now you have to remember that this is basically the halfway point in this storyline. Uh, you've had you have fourteen chapters, so this is the the big halfway point. And to be to be fair, it kind of feels like it is like you're you're starting to get somewhere. You have. I especially remember that in the uh, the video game, it definitely felt like you were getting to that point where things were starting to go down as uh, you were, well, you were basically trying to get into the um, what the Fantastic Four's headquarters to re, re uh, not request to basically to steal the uh, Sonic gun that is necessary in order to, uh, to go up against Carnage. I remember reading this as a kid and being like, "That's really cool." Um, back in you know New York, you have Deathlock showing up. You have him uh, fighting against uh, Carnage and his group. You have, again, more and more people starting to become angry and belligerent. Well, the New Yorkers, isn't that the way they are, already are? Just kidding. Um, you have Firestar being, you know, rescued by, not rescued, but being deposited into the group by cloaks. So and now they have Firestar, they have the gun, they're all ready. Uh, Spider-Man saying, you know, the, the other side's as good as whipped. Uh, but obviously that's not going to be the case because there's still seven more chapters. Um... But it was, it's definitely a good issue that's kind of setting up what's going to happen next. Uh, the following chapter is uh, actually written by Terry Cavanaugh, uh, which is, again, another chapter of Spider-Man, uh, artwork by Tom Lyle. I remember seeing previews for this cover, and you have uh, the Carnage symbiote being blown off by the, uh, the, the um, sonic gun by Venom. It never quite goes that way. And I remember as a kid, again, this was one of the issues I couldn't wait to read and just never got a chance to read it. Again, you have more murder by Carnage happening, um, which is really awkward. You have Molten Man trying to protect Flash Thompson and their friends as they're all kind of huddled together because New York's gone crazy, as everyone's becoming so angry and full of rage. Um, Deathlock's been, you know, left pretty much for dead. Uh, but uh, he is able to then be freed by Iron Fist, who decides to show up. So there's really a weird smorgasbord of characters. Spider-Man and his crew take the fight to Carnage. Um, and then finally Carnage gets blasted with the, uh, the sonic gun, and everything looks like it's finally going to happen, where Shriek then, and this never really made sense, starts going crazy on Carnage and causing him to draw blood, and this brings out the Carnage symbiote again. He's super strong for no reason because he just got hit full blast by the Sonic gun. He should be pretty much, you know, useless at this point. Uh, but he's not. Instead, Carnage is repowered again. And again, this is where it starts to feel less and less like a comic book and more and more just like a long video game that won't end. Uh, the following chapter, Spectacular Spider-Man, what, 202? This is chapter 9. I still can't believe how many chapters there are of this. If this was the four-part story, there'd probably be enough story to go around. Uh, J.M. DeMatteis writes this issue with, again, Sal Buscema on art. Um, Sal Buscema does his best with the ridiculousness of the storyline. Um, there is some strong stuff here, though, because he plays with the 
the um, characterization of the characters where Spider-Man's being pushed to the limit. Will he be okay with killing? So there's this one point where he tells Firestar, like, you can do this, you can kill him. And then as Firestar's blasting uh, Carnage, you have Venom saying, do it, do it, this is, this is great, kill him. And Spider-Man starting to realize, no, don't do it, you can't do this, it's wrong, you've got to stop. And finally, Firestar stops. Venom freaks out because, and starts you know, trying to beat up on Firestar because she's given up on you know, killing him. And then Peter and uh, Venom go, go at it. Sp- Spider-Man gets hit in the, right out of the place. And then the, the uh, Shriek starts you know, fighting against Venom with their own sonic blast. actually breaks it down so that Venom actually has no symbiote really on him. It's all like in tatters. Again, maybe not the best uh, depiction of the symbiote in disarray. And then he gets brutalized by both Carnage and Shriek. And then they take his body and take off. Uh, Spider-Man and all his allies are lying prone on the ground. And Spider-Man kind of wakes up and he sees Captain America saying, Look like how about a hand, son? You look like you could use it. Uh, part 10 is then Web of Spider-Man 103. Uh, let's see, part 10, written by, again, by Terry Kavanaugh. Artwork by Alex Saviuk. Um, and you have Carnage run amok with his team. You have a doppelganger carrying a Venom all the way around. You have Demogoblin just going crazy, attacking unbelievers. Shrieks going crazy, inciting riots. And Carrion just killing people randomly. Um, you have, you know, the Avengers compound. You have uh, Captain America brings everyone back to Avengers Mansion. Um... They're trying to kind of figure out what to do next. And then they end up basically becoming involved with both Deathlock and Iron Fist. And they're going to end up teaming up. Um, at that time, Cloak, Morbius, and Black Cat are on their own. Um, they're trying to figure out where Car- or Venom is because he was abducted, obviously, by Carnage. Um, you know, again, not the strongest of Savvy's artwork because I don't think these characters play to his strengths. When you get it to issue 11, which again is what nine-year-old Adam remembers, uh, it's fantastic. It's uh, The cover says, things look bleak for Venom and his pals, which is fine by Carnage. And again, you've got Venom being tortured by Carnage. You have Nightwatch. Hello, 90s. This is Nightwatch. Uh, Nightwatch and Morbius team up to take on Carnage and his pals at the uh, Statue of Liberty. Uh, well, meanwhile, you have uh, Fire, uh, Firestar, Iron Fist, Captain America, Deathlock, and Spider-Man looking for the villains. And then they find Shriek, and she's again inciting mass riots and destruction uh, as Mary Jane and all their friends are at home. Um, uh, so she's off doing her own thing. You have Carnage, Demogoblin, and Doppelganger and uh, Carrion in the, the Statue of Liberty fighting against Nightwatch and Morbius, who are, don't do very well. Um, there's some great stuff here where Iron Fist and uh, Deathlock and the, the other characters are trying to calm down the riots. They're not having a great time of it. Um, Cloak is praying because he doesn't know what to do now that he doesn't have Dagger. Black Cat's been recently injured, so she's actually out of the fight. Um, Shuri kind of goes crazy, just as it seems that Spider-Man and his friends are finally getting through to everyone, and they get attacked by a giant set of mob. Uh, then you have Spider-Man 37, where we go into Chapter 12. We're nearing the end. Um, and this particular issue, again, illustrated by Tom Lyle. And uh, it's written by J.M. DeMatteis, uh, who returns for another chapter. Again, very strong, because you have the more human aspects of these characters. Uh, finally, Venom is able to break free of Carnage's enslavement, but he's very weak as he does so. Again, not the greatest star by Tom Lyle, as much as I love him as an artist. Um, all the heroes are fighting out against these mobs again, trying to get through to them. Iron Fist is trying to preach peace. Um, and, you know, and, and 
Spider-Man's dealing with this anger, and he's uh, getting angrier by the minute. He's, like, punching, you know, um, chimneys. He's trying to, you know, not give in to what Shriek has done to him and done to everyone. Uh, Cloak is praying again, and finally he embraces this uh, this light. When you head back to the villainous side, you have Carnage killing Doppelganger by kicking him off a roof, and he hits the ground and dies. For a character who didn't need to exist, but under the right artist and was seemed really cool and are in, 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 yeah, in entertaining and interesting. Uh, he just gets killed unceremoniously here. And then you have Captain America and Spider-Man show up with Deathlock and Iron Fist and Firestar to take on uh, Carnage's group. And then Cloak shows up with a, you know, a resurrected dagger. She didn't really die after all. Going to issue 13, which again, I remember reading when I was nine years old. Artwork by Sal Buscema, who I appreciate much more now than I used to. Again, written by Dan Mateus. He writes a strong script. He's probably the strongest script writer of all the chapters here. DeFalco does chapters 1 and 14. Uh, Dan Mateus does chapters 5, 9, 12, and 13. Kavanaugh does 2, 6, 8, and 10. Probably the most extraneous of all these chapters. And Michelini does 3, 4, 7, and 11. The Amazing Spider-Man chapters, which are by far the best illustrated chapters. Um, you have basically a really good sequence with uh, Dagger and... Uh, clo- uh, dagger and Shriek and trying to get through to Shriek and to kind of release the anger and the hatred. Uh, there's a point where Spider-Man is the only one left standing and he fights against uh, 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 Carnage. And I actually really like this because I remember reading it as a kid and it's really like shows the the, the the fortitude of the character that he's going to stand up no matter what, even when others have to run away or have to regroup. He's going to he's going to hold toe the line, which is something we saw in ABX when he got the shit beat the crap out of him um and he there's a, some great shots because Bissema does a great tattered spider-man who's still standing um shriek kind of puts the sonic blast on him is really drilling through to his mind then you have a ridiculous 90s version of deathlock with this weird metallic contraption which doesn't actually seem to make any sense and there's not a lot of artwork on it but he's got this some sort of weapon that he's using against all of them and is able to somehow with this tide of inner light which doesn't make any sense he's channeling the inner light of all the of the heroes he's able to uh turn carrying back into malcolm mcbride he's able to um diffuse some of the anger and hatred inside of shriek he's able to basically uh freak out demogoblin and depower him a little and then they can easily take him out because he's so wiped uh carnage himself tries to struggle against it and then uh, it looks like a, a big explosion happens and then it looks like maybe he's dead or at least the symbiote's dead and then you have you know, Venom confronting Spider-Man, and Venom is so weak, and then Carnage shows up out of nowhere, um, and and you're kind of like, really? And then that leads into issue 14, which is the awesome conclusion, as it says, um, with it, which is done with Mark Bagley doing the artwork on the first part, uh, although not, it looks very rushed for Mark Bagley, and then Ron Lim doing the second part with, again, DeFalco and script, which is far from DeFalco's best script, as at this point, I just kind of want the storyline to end, and it just keeps going on and on, and finally you have the the big climactic ending where it looks like, um, you know, the symbiotes are dead, which they're not. Carnage symbiote isn't dead, and eventually he'll arrive again, uh, and then it's all over, and then this big 14-part storyline has finally reaches ridiculous crescendo so that is maximum carnage that is my childhood right there i mean i still enjoy it but looking back at it it's pretty bad and there is a lot of garbage in there i mean there's still some good stuff 
to be had, but you have to kind of know what you're looking for there. Because, like, some of the art's really good, but it just, it's so much reeks of the time. It reeks of the 90s. It reeks of the worst aspects of the 90s. When you think of 90s storylines, I think in my top five guilty pleasure storylines, I listed Maximum Carnage, and for good reason. It has so much nostalgia for me that I can't ever forget about it. Uh, it's not necessarily the best storyline I'll ever read with Spider-Man. Well, far from it. But it will always be one of the ones that most memorable because it's one of my first. And plus I had a fantastic video game that had great music that I can still hear in my head if I close my eyes and, and then think of Maximum Carnage. I'll think of both those comics I had, which was, you know, parts 3, 4, what, 7, 11, 12, 13, and then this amazing video game. Anyways, thank you for joining me for episode 144 of Comic Shenanigans. This is our flashback to Spider-Man Maximum Carnage episode. Um, the reviews episode might be coming out a little bit late next week. Uh, that'll be episode 145, just because uh, in Canada, there, well, in certain parts of Canada, in Ontario where I'm based, there's family day on Monday. Uh, it's a day off, but I may not have a chance to record the podcast with reviews, so hopefully that'll be coming out soon. Um, this episode is late for those who actually know the schedule for the show, but for those who don't, it's another episode. Uh, episode 146 may be our spotlight on the Lego movie. Uh, it was originally supposed to be this episode, but uh, unfortunately, uh, Tibor Mate had to cancel at the last minute, and we had to do a rescheduling, and hopefully that'll be next week, because it'd be nice to be able to talk about that movie. Uh, he loved it, and i um, not so sure how I felt. Maybe I'll, I'll know by the time we do the podcast. If you want to email me, you can do so at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can like the show on Facebook. Please rate and review us on iTunes and let us know uh, which country you're from if you are rating and reviewing us just so we can read it on the air. And please don't uh, be afraid to uh, post in our HC Realms thread on, uh, on HC Realms because uh, that's a way to keep the conversation going for the show. Uh, episode 148 at this point I think will be our uh, opening episode for Superman and the Legion of Superheroes full set with uh, hopefully with Leon or Alana and then episode 150 God only knows what I'm going to do for that anyways thank you so much for joining me I'm Adam Chapman this is Comic Shenanigans and thank you for your continued support of the podcast it is very much appreciated um, I enjoy doing this show very much and uh, I hope you enjoy listening to it even a little bit as much as I enjoy doing the episodes so thanks again and we'll catch you next time bye bye <laughs>